0: We think that dark matter is very blobby, and over the cosmic time, the blobs merge and they build bigger blobs. And these very big blobs are what attract uh, gas, and the gas falls in and forms the stars.
1: Welcome to Shot of Science, a podcast series where we ask some of the world's top scientists what they're thinking about right now. I'm your host, Anna rasquat Paz, and today our president and editor-in-chief Richard Gallagher chats with Josh Bland Hawthorne from the University of Sydney. Dr. Bland Hawthorne talks about the age of stars, how they form, and how galaxies form as well. Here they are.
2: Hi, this is Richard Gallagher at the Flatiron Institute in New York, talking with Josh Bland Hawthorne, who's professor in the School of Physics at the University of Sydney. Uh, Joss is an editor for the Annual Review of Astronomy and Astrophysics. Uh, Joss, what aspect of astronomy and astrophysics is particularly exciting you at the moment?
0: I suppose of the many exciting things happening now, um, galactic archaeology is particularly exciting and interesting. I should say what galactic archaeology is It's a study of the stars in our galaxy using the information we have about ages. Some stars are very young, some stars are just young or medium-aged, middle-aged, and some stars are old, and a few stars are very old, ancient, like formed shortly after the Big Bang. So using the information we have about stars, their locations, their motions, their masses, their ages, uh, and their chemistry, what they're made of, whether they're made of, uh, whether they have mostly hydrogen and helium with some metals or lots of metals. In astronomy, uh, we by metals we mean any any element which is carbon or heavier, which is a strange definition of a metal. But hydrogen and helium are the light elements. The universe formed mostly light elements. Lithium, beryllium, and boron there's not much of it around, and then carbon and beyond there's lots of it, and it's been produced uh, in the life cycle of a star, we call those the metals.
2: So how do you assess the ages of different stars?
0: So the ages of stars is is actually the most difficult measurable for a star. The only star whose age we know accurately is the Sun. That's 4.57 billion years old. That's an accuracy of one part in uh, a hundred or so. for every other star, it's it's complicated. There's uh, basically models. We have models of how stars evolve with cosmic time. They have colors in blue light, green light, and red light. And basically, we model how these different these different colors, like the blue compared to red or blue compared to green, how those colors evolve with cosmic time. We call that the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. Um, but in order to use that method, you need to know other things about the star, whether it's got a lot of metals or not much metals. Um, Nowadays, we have new ways of doing this. We use what are called astroseismology experiments. This is a simple observation that stars oscillate. And the way in which they oscillate tells you something about their internal structure and their masses. So uh, there's satellites with names like Kepler and TESS in the future, satellites with names like Plato they 're measuring um, properties of stars based on how the stars flicker um, and they, and our own sun, for example, flickers in a complicated way the light flickers um, because of the star pulsating uh, and that 's given that 's probably our best way in to more accurate masses and therefore more accurate ages for stars
2: so what 's the scope of uh, how much uh, you can see is it is this um the neighbouring groups of stars, or do you see right through the galaxy or beyond? What's the, what's the scope of the, of the field that you're studying?
0: So yes, galactic archaeology, there are people that look at the entire galaxy and it's something like um, several hundred thousand light years across, um, and they use giant stars um, and they look at them over the sphere of the galaxy. The galaxy is very flattened, but the halo is rather spherical. Uh, and then there are others that concentrate on the more rich information that comes from looking at stars in our solar neighborhood, only going a few hundred light years away from the sun's position. So, the ones when we look nearby, we have enormous numbers of stars and enormous richness that fall within our observational uh, survey. When you look further away, uh, you can still have millions of stars in your survey, but they're, they're, they're more rarefied over a much larger volume. So, basically, you learn different things, whether you're looking locally or whether you're looking globally. So,
2: even locally, there's a richness in the ages of stars? Oh, yes,
0: yes. Locally, there are the oldest stars and the youngest stars. In, our disk, in the disk of the galaxy, that's where you find most of the young stars, because in the disk of the galaxy is where most of the gas is. As, when you look along the Milky Way, across the sky, you see these dark patches. Those dark patches are due to gas and dust clouds. Uh, and you'll see that there's lots of blue light in, along the Milky Way right, when you look across the night sky. So that's where the young stars are. Um, and, but in a, mixed in with the young stars are lots of old stars that formed from clouds and didn't travel very far away. So we have the Sun, as I just mentioned, was 4.57 billion years old, but uh, Arcturus is thought to be as old as maybe 7 billion years old. There are other stars, like Sirius, that might be 10 billion years old. And uh, the universe is 14 billion years old, so you'll find very close by uh, stars of all ages, young and old.
1: We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us.
2: What is known? What isn't known? Knowable Magazine, the award winning journalistic publication from Annual Reviews, seeks to make that knowledge accessible to all. Knowable reports on the current state of play across a wide variety of fields, from agriculture to high-energy physics, biochemistry to water security, the origins of the universe to psychology. Every piece is deeply reported, fact-checked, and free to read and to republish. To stay in the know, head to knowablemagazine.org newsletter and sign up for the free Sunday newsletter today.
1: We're back. As it turns out, the Age of Stars can give us clues about galaxy formation.
2: Uh, where do you extract the most useful information, the younger ones or the older ones? Or is it the, the lifespan, uh, for want of a better term?
0: Yeah, so uh, one of the things we want to understand is how the Milky Way formed from the Big Bang over 14 billion years. And so one of the things we're trying to grapple with is is just what evidence we have today for how the galaxy formed. We know, for example, that dark matter, dark matter the stuff that we don't see, but we we infer its presence from gravity. We see things moving around galaxies which are filled with dark matter. We think that dark matter is very blobby, and over the cosmic time, the blobs merge and they build bigger blobs, and these very big blobs are what attract uh, gas, and the gas falls in and forms the stars. So you've got, basically, the older stars are not in a thin disk. The older stars are in a disk, but it's more fat, fatter disk. But you also have stars in a central bulge, a spherical system. There are stars in a spherical central bar. This is a sort of like a shape of a cigar. There are older stars in the halo and the outer halo. And we also see ancient stars in little dwarf galaxies, which are falling into the halo. And we also see streams of stars falling into the galaxy, and they tend to be older as well. So basically, old stars are everywhere throughout the sphere of the halo and the younger stars tend to be confined to the plane. So we're looking at this enormous richness of where stars are, how old they are, how massive they are, how metal-rich they are, and trying to interpret all of that in the context of a paradigm about how dark matter drives galaxy formation over billions of years through this process of hierarchical merging of clumps. So it's a very interesting field. Today, one of the exciting things today, two exciting things in particular, one is cosmological simulations from very powerful supercomputers that allow us to track how gas falls into dark matter and how they form things that look like Milky Ways, how they evolve over cosmic time. And of course, Hubble Space Telescope and future James Webb Space Telescope will look deep into the universe and see if our simulations predict things that look like what we think the Milky Way looked like billions of years ago. The other breakthrough is the Gaia satellite, ESA Gaia. That tracks the motion of a billion stars. So for the first time in history, you can look at not just the motion towards us and away from us, blue shifts and red shifts. You can also look at the motion in the plane of the sky going across your line of sight. Uh, So you have six dimensions. You have three dimensions of x, y, z in position, and three dimensions of velocity in x, y, z. That's six dimensional information. So now what you see is a fluid flow of stars as if you were living inside of a gas of particles, moving like a swarm of bees, let's say, moving every which way around you. Uh, And the Gaia satellite, which has only released its first major tranche of data a a year ago, is completely revolutionizing revolutionizing the field. Because not only do we have masses and ages and and metals, we also have this fluid flow, six-dimensional fluid flow of movement around us. That must be telling us something.
2: So what's going what's to excite you in the next couple of years? There's obviously new data coming from Gaia all the time.
0: Yeah, so there are a lot of people. There are always people who are, will challenge the convention. Isaac Newton, do we believe what he was saying? Do we believe Newtonian physics? You know, There are those sorts of people who put forward different theories for gravity. Um, and then there are people who believe that we're going to see evidence of dark matter, it'll be some strange kind of particle. What's called ultra-light dark matter, which, which claims that you won't see any small clumps of dark matter because it gets wiped out. And there are others that say that there are uh, dark matter which annihilates with other dark matter and goes off as radiation. So you, you have less dark matter than you think you've got. So there are all sorts of um, ideas about uh, what dark matter is and its presence we infer through the through the motions of stars in particular. So I'm hoping that Gaia will give us a giant model of the galaxy uh, that will rule out or rule in some of these crazy ideas, sort of like people trying to form a a holistic model of the Earth's atmosphere from lots and lots of complex data to see if Earth's, Earth's atmosphere is understood or not understood. We're doing the same thing. We're trying to form holistic models of the galaxy from all these data. To see if we basically what we see is what we get, or whether there's something we're missing, like new new physics, that would be very exciting.
2: Fantastic. Let me ask a bonus question, if I may. Uh, focusing on these um, enormous questions of time and space and the origins and nature of the galaxy, how does that influence your the way you look at daily life, for instance, and and and. Uh, or struggles on Earth? How does it inform how you live, if at all?
0: I think the surveys, in particular, of people search for planets around nearby stars, and we now have inferred or seen the presence of 4,000 planets around nearby stars. If you ask those people, do we see evidence of other Earth-like systems, I think the answer is no. A lot of these planets live in very hostile environments to human life. The Earth really is the best place for a very large volume of the local universe, local galaxy, for human life. So we really should take good care of what we've got uh, and not look for plan B, you know, another planet out there. Because it's going to be extremely difficult to find anything like the Earth. And of course, getting there is essentially impossible with modern technology. So uh, to me, it cautions that we should become more aware of our surroundings. uh, And then we would realize just how lucky we are on this beautiful planet.
2: Great. Joss, thanks very much.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you very much.
1: This was Shot of Science with Richard Gallagher and me, Anna Rasquad-Paz. Thank you to Joss Bland-Hawthorn, Hawthorne, is an editorial committee member for the annual review of astronomy and astrophysics. Join us next time for a conversation with Mike Jarrett of UCLA, He'll discuss the problem of air pollution and the various technologies we now use to keep track of it. Anyure Reviews is a non-profit publisher dedicated to synthesizing and integrating knowledge for the progress of science and the benefit of society. Music today by Track Tribe and Slender Beats.